Moody was surprised to see the pale silhouette of a tent through the scrub, and beside it the remains of a fire. He came up short. The Hokitika diggers typically spent their weekends in town, not returning to the field until mid-morning on Monday at the very earliest. Why had this digger not joined his fellows? And what was he doing on another man's patch of land? Hello there, Moody called, meaning to rouse the tent's inhabitant. Hello! At once there came a grunt and a flurry of motion inside the tent. Sorry, someone said. Very sorry, very sorry. A Chinese face appeared at the opening, blurred with sleep. No trouble, he said. Very sorry. Mr. Suk, said Moody. Ah, Suk squinted up at him. I'm Walter Moody, Moody said, placing his hand over his heart. Do you, uh, do you remember me? Yes, yes. Ah, Suk knuckled his eyes with his fist. I'm so glad, said Moody. This is my claim, you see, from this creek here to those yellow pegs on the southern side. Very sorry, Ah Suk said. No harm done. No, of course, Moody said. In any case, Ah Suk, I'm pleased to see you. Your absence from Canieri has been noted by a great many people, myself included. I'm very pleased to see you. Very pleased, not angry at all. We feared that something had happened to you. No trouble, the Hatter said. Tent only. No trouble. He disappeared from sight. I can see you're not causing trouble, Moody said. It's all right, Mr. Sook. I'm not worried about you making camp. I'm not worried about that at all. Ah, Sook clambered out of the tent, pulling his tunic down as he did so. I will go, he said. Five minutes. He held up five fingers. It's all right, Moody said. You can sleep here if you like. It's of no consequence to me. Last night only, said Ah, Sook. Yes, but if you want to tent here tonight also, I don't mind a bit, said Moody. His manner was alternating between bluff cheer and clumsy condescension, as it might if he were speaking to someone else's child. Not tonight, said Arsuk. He began to strike his tent. Hauling the canvas fly, still wet with dew, from the rope over which it had been draped, he revealed the flattened square of earth where he had spent the night. The woolen blanket, twisted and pressed flat with the tangled imprint of his body, a pot filled with sand, his leather purse, a panning dish, a string bag containing tea and flour and several wrinkled potatoes, a standard-issue swag. Moody, casting his eye over this meagre inventory, was oddly touched. I see, he said. But where have you been, Mr. Sook, this month past? It's been a full month since the seance, and no one's heard a word from you. Digging, said Ah Sook, flattening the canvas fly across his chest. You vanished so soon after the seance. Moody continued. We rather thought you'd gone the same way as poor old Mr. Staines. No one could make head or tails of it, you disappearing like that. Ah, Sook had been folding the fly into quarters. Now he paused. Mr. Staines, come back. I'm afraid not, Moody said. He's still missing. And Francis Carver? Carver's still in Hokitika. Ah, Sook nodded. At the Palace Hotel. Well, in actual fact, no, said Moody, pleased to be given an opportunity to conspire. He's begun sleeping at the Crown Hotel, in secret.
Nobody knows he's staying there. He's kept up the pretense that he's staying at the palace, and he still pays rent to the palace proprietor, and keeps his rooms just as before. But he sleeps every night at the Crown. He arrives well after nightfall and leaves very early. I only know because I rent the room above. Arasuk had fixed him with a penetrating look. Where? Carver's room? Or mine? Carver! He sleeps in the room next to the kitchen, on the ground floor, said Moody. It faces east, very near the smoking room, where you and I first met. A humble room, said Arsuk. Very humble, Moody agreed. But he's got a vantage down the length of the Canieri Road. He's keeping watch, you see. He's watching out for you. Walter Moody knew virtually nothing about Arsuk's history with Francis Carver, for Arsuk had not had the opportunity at the Crown Hotel to narrate the tale in any detail, and had not been seen since, save for his appearance at the Wayfarer's Fortune one month ago. Moody wished very much to know the full particulars, but despite his best efforts of surveillance and inquiry, he had become an adept at turning idle conversation discreetly to provocative themes. His understanding had not developed beyond what he had learnt in the smoking room of the Crown, which was that the history concerned opium, murder, and a declaration of revenge. Ah Kui was the only man to whom Ah Suk had narrated the tale in full, and he did not, alas, possess language enough to share it with any English-speaking man. Every night at the Crown Hotel? said Ah Suk. Tonight? Yes, he'll be there tonight, said Moody. So not until well after dark, as I've told you. Not the palace. No, not the palace, said Moody. He changed hotels. Yes, said Arsuk gravely. I understand. He went to loose the knot of his guy rope from the fork of a tree. Who was he? said Moody. The murdered man. My father, said Arsuk. Your father, said Moody. After a moment, he said, How was he killed? I mean, forgive me, but what happened? A long time ago, said Arsuk, before the war. The Ethiopian Wars, said Moody, prompting him. Yes, said Arsuk, but he did not go on. He began to reel in the guy rope, using his forearm as a spool. What happened? said Moody. Prophet, said Arsuk giving his explanation flatly. Profit of what kind? Clearly, Arsuk thought this was a very stupid question. Perceiving this, Moody rushed on to ask another. I mean, was your father... was he in the opium business, as you are? Arsuk said nothing. He withdrew his forearm from the loop of rope, twisted it into a figure eight, and secured it onto his swag. Once it was affixed, he sat back on his haunches, regarded Moody coolly for a moment, and then leant over and spat very deliberately into the dirt. Moody drew back. Forgive me, he murmured. I ought not to pray. Walter Moody had told nobody at all that Crosby Wells was the bastard brother of the politician Lauderback. He had decided in the hours following this discovery that the intelligence was not his to share. His reasons for this concealment were deeply felt, but vaguely articulated. A man should not be made to answer for his 